0: Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Food for Thought is now the award winning Food for Thought show that is changing the conversation about how we think and feel about food insecurity across our state. Our aim is to elevate the challenge of food insecurity in everyone's eyes to understand it is solvable and should be the highest priority for all those seeking to serve and help people who have a bit more month than they do money. As we kick off our second year of the show, we are examining some of our core beliefs about hunger and sharing with you the data we've learned and about some of the people we've met that helped shape our thinking regarding this stubborn but beatable social issue called food insecurity. Come back and be with me and my esteemed co-host Jerry Brisson, the CEO and President of Gleaners Community Food Bank and the Chair of the Food Bank Council of Michigan's Board of Directors as we begin the second year of Food for Thought right here on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Jerry, welcome to the studio and happy anniversary.
1: Happy anniversary. You should get another award for putting up with Jerry for a year in the studio. I mean, and Mark, <laughs> our producer, should get a piece of that award too. Right? Right. So, congratulations. You're, you're going to at least get some time out of purgatory or something, I'm right. sure.
0: Well I, well, I don't know. That, that, that'll probably go two or three ways right there. <laughs> so, when, when the idea of the show for Food for Thought. Um, You know, it was actually Jeff Marcero and Lori Richard at Edge Partnerships um, came to me with the idea after, after essentially hearing me do a public speaking about our work and thought that WJR would be a great avenue for us to share our message. You know, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I hadn't really thought about it. And then the next thought is... I don't know enough. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what a great leadership principle is you get someone around you that knows a lot more than you do, and you basically turn them loose. And so my first thought, and really my only thought, was to approach you about coming on board, being the the industry expert, because you have given your one handful of life to this work, and you've had amazing results and are still having amazing results. And some of the most amazing results are, I believe, are yet to come. So I appreciate you catching the vision with me about what Food for Thought could do and be, and how it could affect our work of creating food security across our state. Yeah, I
1: I appreciate that. Um, I, I think that probably the the next step was a pretty quick one, too, and that was we also have to bring other people who know more. You know, we, we have to admit and, and humbly admit that the problem isn't solved yet. It never has been solved. And a lot of smart people have come before us that have gotten us this far. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we realized pretty early and, and with the other food banks in Michigan that if we're going to solve this problem, even step by step, We're going to have to be very inclusive. We're going to have to bring people to the conversation who have the same optimism, right? Right. This can be solved, but who also bring a lot of ideas and intelligence and foot-on-the-ground knowledge. And, you know, that's across the state. And we've had 61 guests in 52 weeks.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and. Every single one, from Sean Wilson at Ford Motor Company to Rachel Hurst at Kroger to um, Susan Hawkins at Henry Ford Health Systems.
0: Rob Fowler from the Small Business Association. Uh, think about the think about the bank I, I, really the banking industry that has come alongside of us. Oh yeah, us.
1: Rick Hampson and Rick Devore and,
0: and exactly. yeah, and... those types of leaders, community leaders all across the state that have come alongside of us to agree with our assertion that creating food security is possible and defeating hunger, the stress and toxic stress of hunger, can go out of people's lives. And
1: so we, you know, when we set up, and I think it probably took us a couple weeks of doing the show before we settled on the, the byline of what the purpose of the show is and that and that is really changing the conversation about hunger in Michigan because so much of the conversation was about either what hasn't been done or what could never be done that in order to make progress, we knew we had to change that to what can be done, what should be done, and ultimately that you can see an end in mind, you know? And so I think we, we're, we've come a long way in a year in terms of elevating that part of the conversation and having some practical success, too.
0: Well, I think I, I agree with you. I think we have had some su- tremendous success. Um, in elevating the conversation and changing the conversation. And one of the key aspects of changing the conversation is helping us all understand a bit better the dis- the difference between hunger and food insecurity. Right. Because, you know, 40 years ago when this work started with food banking, it was about emergency food and alleviating emergency situations. Now we're having a totally different conversation about the 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 factors the uh, what's the word I want the the the, the contributing factors the the co- the root the determinants causes exactly right yeah the root causes of food insecurity that leads to people having emergency food hunger situation
1: well and one of the things we've talked about several times on the show is. A significant change between the start of food banking and even pantries even further back um, is that the relationship between employment and food security is different. Right. You know, it it used to be that if you had a job, you were food secure. And I I suppose that was never 100 percent true, but it was true enough that a lot of the effort was – provide jobs. And for then people without jobs, you got emergency food. Eventually that became emergency and supplemental food. And eventually leading to today, it's like, well, the, the there's a lot of jobs that don't pay a living wage. Well, to explain that, we did the entire self-sufficiency standard study to show, well, how many of the top 10 most important jobs in Michigan pay a living wage and it was 1 out of 10
0: 1 out of 10 so that that study alone really helps separate and and not just change the conversation but guide the conversation and you know so that all has led to we you know doing this show we were either going to believe what we believe more or we were going to believe what we thought less and I think we believe it more.
1: We believe it more and more deeply. So I, I would say that we are nimble in terms of as we learn, we apply new solutions and new ideas from what we've learned so that we can get closer to
0: understanding what an end game has to look like. So, you know, that's why we started the show, and now we are housing the show at Food Secure Michigan.
1: What a great website. All the podcasts are there. They're broken down by industry, so if you're interested in a particular topic, you can see it there and uh, and we're just going to build on that from here.
0: Well, and there's a statement at the front of the at the very beginning of the of the homepage of foodsecuremichigan.org and it says It says, "Do you
1: believe hunger can
0: be solved? We do." We do. So, we're going to come back and tell you why we do. We're going to give you five of the reasons in this show why Jerry and I are more convinced than ever that food security can be created all across the state of Michigan. Come back and be with us. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we'll be right back. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Food for Thought here with Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO of Gleaners and the chair of the Food Bank Council of Michigan Board of Directors that represents seven food banks that serve all 83 counties across the state, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. Glad to be glad to have you back with us here for the uh, kickoff show of our second year of Food for Thought. Jerry, we talked a little bit in the first segment about um, the award winning and and um the number of guests we've had and how they have rallied to this cause and that's pretty exciting movement but you know one of the things that we know about these high caliber people who are interested in solving this problem is you better have a plan yeah right <laughs> <laughs> that's right you know that's so right we are working on a plan and uh it's called the blueprint to solve hunger in michigan um, essentially, how do we go to the next levels of creating food security among people across the state of Michigan who are struggling? And within that context, you and I and our our board of directors has been thinking a lot about this blueprint, and we've come up with a with you know really a foundation of reasons why we believe it's solvable. Now there's more than five. But these are at least, if not the top five, per, certainly near the top of, of our rationale of why we believe we should pursue this. Yeah,
1: and part of, why, uh, part of what, what propels us forward, you know, to keep uncovering the other reasons. So here they are, five reasons why we think hunger can be solved. The first is that enough people care to see hunger and food security end. That includes you. We appreciate you a great deal as you're listening to the show,
0: and it includes every major religion in the world. Right. So if you just looked at Islam and Christianity, who in both of their scriptures have it embedded that you are to care for the poor and feed the hungry, that's, of all the people of faith across this world, that's 54%. Right, that's so you're at a majority of the people in the world, just with the top two, yeah, so it's one point five billion uh Muslims and two point five billion Christians, then you include
1: all the people who are humanitarian, all the government work that isn't uh, secular. I mean, it, and the it's really clear just from a moral and legal perspective, That we've got a lot of people.
0: Yeah, just the two major religions in the world give you a majority. It's more than 50%. Exactly right. So when you put all the other religions in the world, and then you put just the people who who believe, as a human, it's the right moral thing to do, is to help someone who's hungry. Then you look at all the corporate
1: support. All the major world corporations that say we're going to make hunger part of our platform, you've got Ford Motor Company, you've got Kroger, you've got Walmart, you've got ConAgra, which is a big food producer. You know Peter Pan peanut butter. Oh, yeah. Um, or Jif, or you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you, Meyer food here in Michigan. Totally right. I mean, and, Kellogg. That's exactly right. And that list goes on, you know, major corporations that have said this is an issue we know has to be addressed and we are going to put the strength of our giving behind that.
0: And I think you look at private and public foundations, you see a lot of that same. Now, what I would say to that is that it needs to go to a step further for all of us doing this social work and supporting the social work. And, and I don't want to get us off the five reasons here, but Jerry, food first as a concept has to come into all all of our thinking.
1: Well that's right. And that's gonna we're gonna talk about that when we start talking about both proving the impact of solving hunger and the fact that half the problem is already solved and that it's cheaper. So we got we got it. Okay, coming up, all right, I'll wait. Right? I'll wait. We got I'll it coming wait. up because it is one thing feeds to the next, but you have to start with a base of people that believe you know, one of the simple tenets of life is it's easier to convince someone to do something they want to do than to convince something to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. It's a pretty simple concept. A lot of people want this to be solved and that's one of the main reasons we think it can be. We don't have to convince people this should be solved. They already believe it. Yeah. Now yeah. how to do it is where we have some doubt and that's why we're changing the conversation, right? Exactly. All so, right, so we're gonna get what's the second reason? The second reason farmers grow enough food to feed the world And they're getting better at it all the time. We had Michigan Farm Bureau in here talking about just, uh, what was it? A million pounds of asparagus just in Michigan that went unharvested last year because there weren't people to pick it. Right. Right. I mean, that's one small segment of products in one state in the United States that we know there's a million pounds of food available if we could learn how to pick it. The bottom line is farmers grow enough food. All we got to do is figure out how to make the best use of what farmers already do really well. That's one of the main reasons this can be solved. It's not like we're trying to create a gold
0: mine in a rock quarry. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. The fact is, we're making a gold mine in a gold mine.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's really true. And, you know, you take into a fact that Michigan is the second most diverse agricultural state in the U.S., second only to California, we grow such a wide variety of food. And then I think that's amazing given the short growing season that we have because of our weather. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that we can produce this much food. Now, we, we, that doesn't mean the food banks have all the food they need to meet the need. That's right. We but, have to get better. We have to get smarter.
1: Right. I mean, that's all part of the—but we're going to come up to uh, some of those solutions as we get into these reasons, too. We're getting better, and we're getting smarter. They're better,
0: and we're getting better. Exactly
1: right. And so, so, second reason, farmers grow enough food to feed the world. The third reason, it's cheaper to end hunger and food insecurity than to have it continue.
0: Man, so, that is so true.
1: And it's important to say that because part of what it takes to get the will to solve a problem is to understand in very practical terms what's the cost and benefit of doing nothing versus the cost and benefit of doing something. And we've been on the path of showing that we know, for example, hunger costs poor education results, poor health, more expensive health. It creates children who never reach their potential because they couldn't develop well enough being undernourished. This is in our country. I'm not talking about third world countries or or this is in our state. Right. You know, we can't have kids growing up undernourished. We've got to start right as soon as we know that a woman is pregnant. She has to be nourished. Nourish that baby When it's born, you've got to make sure that baby's nourished early and well so that every child in our state can reach their potential. And if you don't, it is a darn expensive problem to fix.
0: It is. And, you know, we have a good program, and WIC addresses that. My concern is that after WIC, it drops off. And that's when... And I, I'm sorry, I should have waited for you. No, it's I, good. We're I, good. I, I, I should have waited for you. That's when the food first concept that we developed in the first year of this show has to come into play. has to become just as much of a priority when that child goes off of WIC as it does when they're on WIC. So that every social program, every program, every agency, everybody who's doing this work has to have food security of the people they're serving at the top of their list. It's obvious that it's cheaper to help people
1: keep up than it is to have people catch up. Hmm. It's just an obvious truth. It doesn't every field everywhere comes to the same conclusion every time. It's cheaper for people to keep up than catch up. And when food is so inexpensive relative to other solutions, most food banks are doing three, four, or five meals per dollar. Hmm. That is a wow. very inexpensive solution. So it is so much cheaper to end hunger and food insecurity than it is to have it continue.
0: Now let me ask you, you got a couple of more reasons that you're gonna share here. You wanna do that in the next segment or you wanna keep going on this one?
1: Now let's let's at least get the reasons out there, then we'll come back. Then we'll come back and unpack it. So here we are. Four, we can prove the impact of solving hunger. So we've mentioned these ideas. The next step is to actually use research methods and business methodology to actually prove the impact, and we can do that. And the fifth one is, we've already solved half the problem. We've already solved half the problem without all the innovation that we've just talked about. Half the problem solved, we have innovative solutions, we can prove the impact,
0: This problem can be solved. Wow. All right, so those are the five top reasons that we believe we can create food security across the state of Michigan. Exactly right. All right, we're going to come back and unpack some of those even more in the next couple of segments. You come back and be with us. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Come back and be with us here on WJR. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. It's Food for Thought on WJR. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson in the studio, and we are talking about the five reasons that we're convinced that is our network, me, you, and all of our fellow workers at the other food banks across our state that serve all 83 counties, why we believe this can be solved. I
1: think it's fair to assume all of our listeners believe, right? We're just going to give you what you already know, but that's all right. You've got it again, and and we hope you use it regularly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're talking about... I think we should. We got through the, the last four and five. It was a little rushed at the end of that segment. So let's unpack four and five, reasons four and five, a little bit more uh, as we begin this segment, Jerry. Fourth reason, we can prove the impact. So let's just cover
1: in the simplest terms what you have to do to prove impact. You start with some information that tells you where you are. You make a change, and then you end with some information to see how that change mattered. Right. Right? So what was the impact? You start and end with information. And if the information changes and how it changes tells you what you did worked or it didn't work. Right. That's the process of proving impact. It's the scientific method. It's a really good thing to do. Right. So the self-sufficiency standard, as an example, when the first uh, poverty measure was put out, the assumption was that 30 percent of a household budget was for food. Right. And the whole poverty measure was based on that data. 30% of what a household spends is on food. When we did the self-sufficiency standard, what we learned was that the actual amount household spends on food is 15%. Right. And that changes when you put the other seven or eight key things that make up a household budget that they have to have, whether it's rent or utilities or childcare or transportation, those things cost more than the original poverty measure assumed. Absolutely. And putting that together, it basically showed us wait a minute, this data means we need to think differently about what how to impact the trade-offs people are making. But it also gave us a way to know exactly how much help we're providing when we take hunger off the table. When food isn't an issue, we know we're accomplishing 15% of the problem. So now we can have a whole new set of questions that say, so how many people that we help, if we solve that one problem, can they solve everything else by themselves?
0: Yeah, that would be really interesting for us as we as we move forward and this and discover this, right? Because you you do start with a hypothesis. This is what we think. Right. This is what we hope. And now the data is either going to prove that more or less or not or completely. How many? Who? Right. Right.
1: And that's all part of proving the impact. So as we do these studies and we have a new baseline and we have a different understanding of the information, it leads us to better questions, more insightful questions, and it lets us solve the problem group by group by group. So if we can take hunger off the table and let's say solving that one household tradeoff helps 20 percent of the people that we serve fully, they can then get off Succeed, right. and do everything else they need for themselves. Well, you still have more people to help. Now we know what questions we need to ask next, and we can start solving the other issues as well, right? So this will not only solve hunger, but will give us information that helps solve all of the trade-offs people need to make.
0: So, you know, we talk about, we, we're meeting about half the need that there, that there is, that exists. And so how are we doing that? We're doing that a lot through charity dollars. Now, I think we have to make the point that as we talk about proving impact, that we are always going to need charitable help. Right. Right. There's not going to be a day that we're going to be so efficient that we're, going to be, that we're not going to need charitable dollars to help us do this mission. Well, it's not just about
1: efficiency. It's that you know people aren't efficient themselves, right? So not everyone is born with everything they need from a capacity standpoint to be self-sufficient. So at some point, you have to say, we're going to help them anyway. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, that's where charity comes in and is most effective. It's when you care for people because you love them and are concerned about them, whether or not they can help themselves. Well,
0: and my point is, is that that says more about us than it does about them. Exactly right. So, But then we are more efficient, and we are finding new areas that we can contribute to help people, such as health care. And so combining ourselves as a partner in in healthcare where we're we're helping the people and we're helping the healthcare and we're lowering costs for everyone that's a win-win-win scenario for everybody my point being is that the data proves not only impact but return on investment both for charitable dollars and business dollars exactly right and and Everything
1: that makes a person stronger makes them a better contributor, right? Whether that's to healthcare or whether that's to their job or whether that's to their learning. I mean, anything that helps the person helps everything that person does, right? Yeah. So the proving part of it is well, how much does it help? And what does it cost to provide assistance? And then what's the benefit of that in many different areas? So as we grow in our research methodology, we will grow in our real understanding of that impact.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, man. I'm, I, I think data is where it's at. We've said it from the beginning, uh, we, since we started the blueprint process, that we need data. Now, we probably weren't smart enough at that point to know what data we needed, But we've evolved and we've learned. And one of the examples, I think, is Forgotten Harvest, who uh, does mobile distributions. And when they looked at some of the data they were gathering from their clients, they they perceived that 35% of the people coming to this one mobile suffered from diabetes. So what happened? When they saw that data, it changed their methodology. It changed how they did business. And they started delivering food that was more tailored to the needs of the people who were at that mobile distribution. That doesn't happen without data. Right. And not only does that make happier people, which is
1: a good thing in and of itself, even if it's all charitable, but when you think about the impact of that on on the amount of insulin people need or the number of syringes they need or the other health care costs it takes to manage a, a disease like diabetes, you can see that the impact of having the information, making a change, and then treating those people but because you know them is going to have an awful lot of positive result.
0: Yeah, I was really proud to hear that story from Forgotten Harvest and Kirk Mays and, and the work that they're doing and how data is informing operations. And because so much of their
1: work is mobile, um, it's a lot more on their side that's mobile than, uh, than what Gleaners does. Right. We can learn from them. They've made a priority to really dissect that data and so we don't all have to spend the same money learning the same thing. We can learn from Forgotten Harvest because of their specialty and apply it to where we have something similar going on. And so it, again, makes us more efficient and it, it makes the cost of learning cheaper.
0: We'll talk a little bit about, in the last last couple of minutes of this segment, about why we've already solved half the problem
1: so so it's not why it's that right we have in fact solved half the problem we have the data from a map map the meal gap which is a feeding america research initiative right. that lets us know in every county what is the meal gap that is left unsolved and from that work we know that half the problem is solved right. so but what that means is that the relationships that it takes to solve the the problem. We already have many of those relationships. We already have community trust around this issue, right? We've solved half the problem. People know we're there. They know we're working for them. And and we have the experience that it takes to know the ins and outs and ups and downs of solving half the problem already. So we're starting from such a position of strength and trust and Mm. capability. And it's important to remember, we're not starting from zero. We're starting from a pretty elevated spot where we're looking down half the mountain and we're only looking up at the other half. Right. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying let's not take for granted that the the fact that we've solved half the problem puts in us, us in a really good position to solve the
0: next half. You know, I talked to a couple of uh, old hats, you know, the guys that pioneered this work 40 years ago, and You pose this question to them, and their reaction is spectacular. You say, in 40 years, one generation, would you have thought food banking would have had such an impact that we could have solved half of the food insecurity needs of the people in our communities? And they thought, we dare not dream of anything that big. They're so proud and they're so affected, And to be honest with you, so am I. And so am I, right? I
1: mean, the reason we can see farther is because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I didn't make that up. That is a old saying, but it's a true one. You know, those pioneers that got us where we are deserve a ton of credit for the work they did to teach us what we can do next.
0: Five reasons why hunger can be solved in our state, Michigan, and you're part of that reason. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes.
1: It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan.
0: Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. We're back on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. And, uh, Jerry, last segment for this show five reasons why we believe food security can be created. But there's really a couple of other things and thoughts that are out here about the importance of food.
1: Yeah, what weaves this all together ultimately is our connection to each other what what holds, we've got a really logical model here, and you have to have that, right? You have to have a path, and pathways are built in a very logical sequence, and, and I feel really solid about where how we've done that work. But ultimately, as I've been in this work, and I know as you've been in this work, what really
0: holds this together is how we're connected to each other. So, you know, I think that there's a side of food that we often overlook. For example, if uh, you stand up in a in a in a faith meeting somewhere, and the leader says, "We're going to have a fellowship. You know what that is? That's a code word for ladies bring food <laughs> <laughs> because our a lot of our congregate meetings, our fellowship, our time together as humans, revolves around food. and we all understand it. We do it with our families. We do it
1: with our friends. We celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. And a lot of these gatherings
0: are built around food, the meal. I can remember, Jerry, um, pulling into a village in East Africa. And it would be me and maybe two other guys that I had with me. And um, we were exploring, trying to find out what the needs were. Um, I spoke the language and, you know, so we we would converse and oftentimes spend the night and that was crazy. And honestly, there might be, and I'm holding just my two hands together, this much food in the entire village. And they would go and cook that and bring it to us. And you would think, I could never eat that. That's the last food they have. No, you have to eat that because it's the last food they have. And they're communicating value to you by the food that, you, that they're giving to you. They're showing you respect. They're esteeming you. And that's when that cross-cultural lesson comes where, yeah, you have to eat the food that's given to you. And I think those truths about this work, that
1: what binds us together in so many ways comes back to the fellowship we have as human beings as family with each other around basic sustenance it's it's it can't be overstated that when we feed our community we are delivering a message of value
0: and care that's so much deeper than just the food well food is centric for for us in the human experience in the cultural experience and we communicate respect And we communicate value. We communicate love. We communicate importance by the food. Promise, we hope. Promise. We communicate all the things that really matter in lifting someone up, and we do that with food. It's so
1: important to remember as we go through our scientific process and our
0: rational blueprint creation, Oh, and creating a business plan and backing it up with data and scientific survey, all of the things that we need to do and have to do to give ourselves validity in what we believe can happen can't get lost in the fact that this is about people, this is about communicating value to people, and helping folks who, again, have a little bit more struggle than what the rest of us do. So we can't really
1: invite our listeners over for dinner. But we can say this to our community uh, who's who's listening and involved with us every step of the way. We value and appreciate you. Um, this food for thought that's binding us together and helping us realize a food-secure state in Michigan is driving so much importance, and we are grateful to you for your contributions of thought and effort as we continue to move forward.
0: Absolutely. The emails, the Twitters, the, the, the communications that the listeners are, are sharing back with us. is uh, And what we really want to do in the second year, we really want to help you, the listener, understand that you have a vital, important place in this story. And we're thankful and appreciative. So I guess it's time for a little food for thought. The Spanish-born American philosopher famously uttered these words that we've used and understand. George Santanana said, Those who do not understand history are condemned to repeat it. And Jerry and I do understand our history, and we appreciate it. But our industry has and continues to evolve. When food banking started in this country a mere 40 years ago, any food would do. Any food would solve hunger, so if it came in, it went out. Not so much anymore. Our evolution, our commitment to access to healthy, nutritious foods impact us, our clients, and our community. Last year, the Food Bank Council of Michigan's network, that's the seven food banks that serve all of our state, distributed 181 million pounds of food, and 40 million pounds of that was homegrown Michigan produce. You've heard it, and we believe it. We are what we eat, food is medicine, and our commitment to helping people have access to healthy, nutritious food is unwavering. We love our history. We appreciate those who've gone before us, and as Jerry said, we stand on their shoulders. We honor them. And because we understand them, and we understand the needs of today, we've adapted to meet those needs that are before us. Come back and be with us here on our next edition of Food for Thought. And until then, remember... Food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.